This is the Coleman Associate Innovation Podcast. Innovation? Yeah, innovation. New, original, and creative. This podcast is designed to challenge the way you think about how healthcare is delivered. Ladies and gentlemen, the captain has turned on the fasten seatbelt sign. If you haven't already done so, please take your seat and fasten your seatbelt. Welcome to the Coleman Associates Innovation Podcast, the podcast that brings innovations and best practices in healthcare to your podcasting app. I'm Adrian, your host, and on our last episode about how to spend $6.1 billion, Amanda mentioned just the tip of the iceberg about telehealth platforms and thinking about building really strong telehealth processes. Today, I want to bring you Ryan's interview of Amanda with an update about emerging best practices in telehealth. They're going to start us off with a little history about telehealth and discuss how health centers can use what they learned in 2020 to launch them into the future. Let's hear their conversation. Hey, Amanda, how are you doing? Hey, Ryan. Good. How are you? Doing good. So you recently have started working on this deep dive project for telehealth and Mm -hmm. have somewhat become a bit of an expert for us in terms of different ways to deliver telehealth in an innovative way. Is telehealth new? I mean, like, why is this getting so much attention now? Believe it or not, it's been a topic Mm -hmm. of discussion since 1876, which is when when the telephone was invented. Okay. So at that time, it was suggested that patients could talk with Mm -hmm. a doctor over the phone to prevent them from having to come in and do an in-person visit. So what's interesting is that when we were doing our like research on this, it was surprising to find that the first recorded telehealth visit was written about in the Lancet, um, which was a publication in November of 1879. Hmm. So uh, what happened was a family praised the technology, reporting that a phone call to their doctor uh, led the doctor to instructing the family to hold up like a coughing child to the phone Mm. to allow the physician to hear the cough Mm. over the phone, rule out croup, and provide guidance around home remedies. So what's interesting is there's been this like service modality since there were telephones, but there's also just been a lot of resistance to practicing medicine that way until we were kind of thrust into the position where we had no choice, which was spring of 2020. I mean, pre-2020, which is, I mean, not a lot of providers were doing telehealth, right? I mean, is that somewhat to be, you know, 80-20 rule? So 80% of providers were new to telehealth as they got thrust into it, into the pandemic? I think that depends on where, so I don't have the exact data on that, but what I do know is that it depends on where medicine was being practiced somewhat. Like I think if we're talking about community health centers and FQHCs, there were a lot fewer providers practicing telehealth or having experience with it. And part of that is because there just wasn't reimbursement for it. So why would an FQHC provide care that they're not going to get paid for? So you were talking about doing research. Is it difficult right now to understand like what current telehealth world looks like compared to like all the literature out there for pre-COVID telehealth world? So there's a lot more research coming out right now that people Mm -hmm. have been collecting about people's responses to to telehealth. What I will say is that studies pre-2020, pre-COVID showed like a really startling number of patients who wanted telehealth. 2017, there was a study of 5,000 patients surveyed across the country. 77% of them said they were open to a telehealth 
visit, that they wanted that. So they really want it. And mm-hmm. some of the like operationalness of it is is different, right? So I mean, obviously looking at a COVID surge, COVID type telehealth platform is very different than looking at telehealth as kind of this urgent care, right? Like, I mean, the role of telehealth has also changed as well in the, in the sure. pandemic. Sure. So with patients wanting something new, are we finding in health centers that patients want telehealth? So definitely finding a lot of patients who do. I mean, um, I think there's absolutely a cohort of people who were maybe resistant to it to begin with. And then once they had a visit, they realized, gee, like this is similar quality that I would have received in the clinic. I didn't have to drive. I didn't have to arrange for childcare. Like I didn't, you know, I, I could, it was less time I had to be away from work because I didn't have to have the commute or there wasn't as much weight in the waiting room. Um, so there's definitely that cohort of patients, but Ryan, I would also say that there's a cohort of patients who do struggle with access to reliable internet or cellular data. And for those patients, yeah, there is a, I've read it um, described as a digital divide Mm -hmm. between the health center and the patients because they just can't be sure that they're going to have access to the telehealth platform at the time of their visit. Right. Which, you know, I think furthers the conversation that social determinants of health also are social determinants on digital health and telehealth and those options too. So. Absolutely. And I would say, I mean, that's the biggest thing that I think could be a problem with telehealth because overall, like I I will just state my bias is that I think telehealth is a really, really good thing. But I think what could make it really tricky and further increase the disparities in health is health centers not responding to the digital divide and not figuring out different ways to get patients care who don't have reliable access to internet. I think that could be a big misstep. Yeah. I do want to hit on a comment you made in terms of being able to, you know, respond to this digital gap. What are some things that you've seen uh, health centers do to be able to provide telehealth services um, to patients in this gap? Mm -hmm. I mean, some clever things we've seen, and and this is in uh, Kansas, is we saw, you know, those signs that you put up when you go to a grocery store and it's like the curbside well, or the parking lot pickup signs. I think Target yeah. has them where they're like, you know, pull in here and call this number and then someone will be out with your groceries or your Target bag or whatever. So we saw similar signs set up in Kansas that said park here for your virtual visit. And a patient, and in this case, you know, I'm also recognizing that these patients had cars, which right. in a lot of urban areas, they wouldn't have this, but they would pull into that parking spot And if they didn't have the technology, the health center would bring out the technology, you know, like the tablet, and it would be on their Wi-Fi because they made sure they tested that it could connect to the parking lot and it would all just happen in the parking lot. So, you know, again, this isn't, this means that the patient isn't realizing the benefit of a lower commute because they're still commuting (laughs) to the parking spot, but they still get the visit without the risk of going into the clinic and being exposed to staff and other sick patients or other patients, period one way to close that divide is to provide those devices in a way Mm -hmm. that's either on-premise or off-premise, right? Because I mean, that's the idea of remote monitoring is giving patients devices to use in their own home. Another cost-effective model would be to provide those devices on your own premises, but yet still have barriers to keep them safe if they're at risk. Absolutely. So um, just talking about the flip side of 
tactile threat, this digital gap that's mm -hmm. a huge issue for some uh, for a subset of patients. The other opportunity is that telehealth really moves a lot of resources into an affordable setting for patients, right? So, you know, a dermatology telehealth visit may be, mm -hmm. which we've seen kind of pre-COVID, right? Some of these mm -hmm. like teledent dermatology or different things, it, it lowers the cost of the delivery. And so really makes some additional services affordable. Mm -hmm. So there's, there's different pros and cons to the process, but when offering telehealth, what are some things that you've encouraged health centers to do to be able to kind of understand the patient experience of that, that mm. offering? Sure. I mean, I think, and, you know, Ryan, this won't be a surprise to you or any of our listeners, but Coleman Associates always encourages getting in the patient's shoes to mm. see what the process is like from the patient perspective from start to finish. And so, okay. you know, we've always encouraged visit trackings. I think telehealth visit trackings, we would encourage the same like tracking or mapping experience where someone who doesn't know what it's, you know, how the appointment is being scheduled or, you know, how the appointment is being registered would follow that from beginning to end to see, is this clear for patients? You know, does this make sense? Because if it doesn't, the, you, you talked earlier about, um, about studies and what, what data we had access to about research around telehealth patient experience. And what we found is that even pre-COVID patients, the majority of them really like it. They don't like it if they struggle to get on the platform. If they, it's like a technological glitch. It's like no one likes that. You know, like right. when you're setting up your TV or your Fire Stick or Alexa doesn't work. I mean, or you right. know, whatever technology people are used to. If there's a glitch, you get really frustrated with it. With it, and you're right. like, you you kind of forget all the advantages of having it. You know, mm -hmm. yeah, <laughs> when I you're mean, like, <laughs> go ahead. Yeah, I mean, no, that's a good point. I mean, I think nowadays, like Amazon sends you like a device that already knows your Wi-Fi password, which, you know, you could talk about Big Brother and all that other stuff, but like right. you plug it in and it works, right? And so are totally. you going to use it more if it works when you get it? Um, exactly. So this mystery shopper concept, because I just want to really talk about, you know, you guys have a lot of experience doing mystery shopper. It's a process that you guys have embedded into your program when you start working with organizations mm -hmm. to do innovative concepts like what are some funding things that people learn through these experiences like pre-covid sure. and even in covid or in telehealth yeah. what are some just interesting things people find everything from oh my god i didn't know that we didn't have appointments for new patients for two months that's mm -hmm. one thing people learn is like gee i couldn't get an appointment for a while when they call yeah. and, and do a mystery shopper other things we're seeing now are like Oh, it wasn't clear if this was an in-person visit or a telehealth visit. They actually mm -hmm. never said, so I don't know if I'm coming in or not. You know, I think that you learn whether or not, like even the instructions for how the patient is going to get onto a telehealth platform, you learn that pretty quickly from doing a mystery shopper. You learn about hold times. You learn about phone trees that are confusing. I mean, there's yeah. all these things <laughs> that you take for granted. And then you make a call and you're like, oh, this was tr tough. Yeah. Yeah, so you're, I mean, to your point, patients don't like tough experiences. And so the reality is, is now that you have potentially this offering on telehealth, there's a lot of stuff that isn't happening face to face, right. or maybe, you know, it was happening and you just didn't know about it. One health center I was working with recently, one of the observations from the patient mapping experience was just how loud the workspace was mm -hmm. that the employees were working in, right? So mm -hmm. here you had employees who were working in a telehealth environment, they had providers secluded into these like little 
you know, secluded areas so that they could have quiet. But the medical assistant who was doing the intake and kind of troubleshooting mm -hmm. technology was sitting next to another medical assistant who was mm -hmm. doing the same thing. And so it was really loud. So just really thinking about like this whole experience from beginning to end, how do we make sure that our assumptions are happening in reality? Absolutely. And I think we, we were talking to an organization who's like uh, on the brink of redesigning their space pretty soon, you know, like going through a renovation. And one of, I mean, that is a really classic and perfect example of we're probably going to be providing telehealth. So when you're redesigning and if you're going to do telehealth for a subset of your schedule for like, and every health center has to figure out what proportion of visits they're going to do telehealth. Although if the reimbursement stays the same, you don't really have to have those conversations. We don't have to get into that. But if they redesign the space and medical assistants are doing those intakes, it's like, where are they going to do it? You know, I think that point about sound is a great one of making sure you have the space set up for that. Yeah. I mean, just for this podcast, right. We're always like thinking about sound, like is the wall, <laughs> am I sitting too close to a wall? Is there uh -huh. carpet or is there uh -huh. a tile? Right. Cause you think about a healthcare setting, like previously in design, you would build a tele, uh, like you would build a clinic that could be cleaned. Right. So you're looking for hard services, you know, no one puts carpet mm -hmm. in an exam room mm -hmm. until the one time that, you know, something happens. So really thinking about some of our spaces that we used in a face-to-face -face setting don't necessarily translate very well to a telehealth setting just because of sound and video and all that other stuff that goes on. Totally. Totally. And, and I, and I would hate, I mean, I'm just going to put this out there. I would hate to lose when you just said that about spaces where MAs are working, doing intakes. Mm -hmm. If this takes us away from team-based care and co-location, because normally, you know, we recommend right. that team members sit close to each other. I would hate that. Like it's, it's more about having some flexibility or some, spaces where they could use uh, a quiet space for an intake, um, but also have the advantages of when they're in person being next to their provider. Like, I don't want that to go away. Right, no. And then the only other thing, Ryan, I was going to mention when you, that made me think of um, being close to other people mm -hmm. is that there are people, and this is actually the, the more savvy health centers I'm seeing, mm -hmm. MAs can, you know, we're seeing providers provide telehealth from home, right? Mm -hmm. Like do it at that, right. at a distant site. but. Um, I've seen some MAs who are also doing intake when they work remotely, hmm. but okay. so the advantage is it could be more quiet, but you have to be really careful about being in a space that's HIPAA compliant mm -hmm. and protects PHI. Cause if you're home, you also need the space that if your partner or spouse is also home or, a, you know, a grandmother or someone else who's watching your kids down the hallway, they can't hear you asking right. the patient this sensitive information. So that's another thing that people have to take into account, even providers, is making a HIPAA compliant space. And, and PHI and protecting that. You you had mentioned about, um, I'll just want to comment on two things. You know, you talked mm -hmm. about communication. SAMHSA has this model for integrating behavioral health and primary health care. And one of the first steps you take is co-locate people, right? Like if you want to mm -hmm. build an integrated model, the easiest way to really make that happen is putting people in the same room because they'll rub shoulders with each other and they'll start working together. Um, one health center I was talking about and helping and assisting with telehealth was just the need to create a mechanism for, for group communication, right? So mm -hmm. what was happening was 
team member A was at a different location than team member B and team mm-hmm. member B was remote at another place. And so the reality was that they weren't communicating like they used to, because they used to all sit next yes. to each other or were just down the hall from each other. And they could just pop in and say, Hey, I've got this issue going on. And totally. so that's where things like using a HIPAA compliant platform, like Microsoft teams or Jabber or whatever these things are mm-hmm. is really trying to figure out ways to create group chats so that the team can coordinate care. But I've seen telehealth really fall apart where the team's not communicating because they're siloed again. Totally. No, that's an, that's a really good point. And it's another thing that like Coleman associates will go on the record of saying like one of our principles of redesign is communicate directly. So don't, don't lose that with telehealth. You just have to find a way to engineer it in. Are there any other redesign elements that you think that just kind of pop out that could be addressed with telehealth that just sometimes maybe they're like, oh, here's an innovative idea, but really think yeah. about this before you make that change because there are implications. Yeah. I mean, I, the, the first one that comes to mind when you ask that question is um, create broad job roles, because I, I think that um, with all the prep work that we're seeing go into telehealth visits so that the patient and provider are ready to start that visit, you know, without anything else before the provider part of the visit is that there's we're seeing more pre-visit work being done in advance. But we're not necessarily seeing like multiple people interact with a patient to do it. You know, it's like either the front desk is doing a lot of it or maybe the medical assistant is doing a lot of it, including some pre-registration. And so we're seeing more cross training, frankly, so that the patient doesn't have to speak to three different people before they talk to the provider, you know, billing, front desk, you know, MA. But like if we're going to catch this patient before their visit, let's catch them once and that generally means like one staff member. So there's yeah. implications for cross-training. Yeah. I think the other one that there's a, another principle redesign that really hasn't been like well vetted out because of software limitations is mm. don't move the patient, right? So mm. when you start thinking of like integrated visits, like, hey, I have a visit, but now they need to see this behavioral health worker. Like when we talked about navigating technology and moving from one area to another area to another, area, it sounds really difficult and can be you lose patients in the process, right? Like you're not getting patients into visits, but then to have them leave and go back into another one is really difficult. So just totally. you know, sadly, hopefully the technology will catch up to allow some of that integration, but it's you know, how can we figure out ways to not move the patient as much? Exactly. I mean, you have, you have people like, like I was, I was, uh, my, my mother-in-law, for example, was, was explaining to me and my husband that she was about to have her first telehealth visit. And she's like, you know, I'm, I've already tested the software and tried to sign in, you know, and if she had to do that three different times to mm-hmm. try to go to the behavioral health and then the referrals person and then make a follow-up appointment by jumping on different lines and people weren't coming to her, like, disaster. <laughs> There's no way that follow-up visit would be made because she was struggling to get on once. It's weird the first time you sign on to something and have to click a link and right. do that for a telehealth visit. So what are some things that telehealth can achieve in terms of outcomes? Like mm-hmm. like if I'm a health center and I am thinking about doing telehealth or really innovating or really expanding, like what are some goals or objectives or like what's on the horizon for me if I do it? Yeah. I mean, I think one of the biggest things we're hearing about in initial research is that telehealth is great for your chronic care patients, Mm -hmm. the patients who you need to be seeing a bit more and checking in with. Um, And so that has big implications for your hypertensives, for your diabetics, for patients who you want to be checking in with about their, their self-monitoring, like what their blood sugars are, what their right. at-home 
blood pressures are, it has big implications for them. And that's huge in this country when those are a huge uh, a subset of our patients who are really sick and also cost the collective health system a lot of money because right. of their needs. I love the idea of applying the principles of redesign to telehealth processes so we can improve patient outcomes and prepare for the future of value-based payment. Special thanks to Ryan and Amanda for taking the time to talk about what they are seeing in telehealth best practices. I put links in the show notes for the mystery shopper, patient visit tracking, and patient visit mapping exercises that they talked about. Make sure you're subscribed to the podcast to get episode notifications as we release them, and to our newsletter to hear more about opportunities for HADF funding and our other programs. To keep up with all the Chispa happenings, make sure to follow us on LinkedIn. And shout out to Jonathan at Bionic Squid for all of his podcasting help. We'll see you next time.